Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, today we welcome Nora Teal to my naughty corner on Biz News. She's the daughter of the legendary Spot Sperling, who had an amazing sense of humor, and his cheeky banter and pioneering spirit will live on with us in the industry forever. I personally only met him once or twice, but loved both meetings with him. He was such a character. So welcome, Nora, to our little corner on the Biz News platform, and we're going to have some fun chatting and remembering one of the legends of the industry. Hi. Thanks for having me, Carrie. It's... Um been quite a while uh, that we don't get out to see people anymore, but it's nice to chat. Yes, I know. And we've got lots to celebrate with Delheim today because one of the things that we need to speak about is that Spatzendrek is turning 60. What an amazing story that is. But before we go there, part of my Carrie's Corner, the part I love most, is that our wine industry is entrenched in stories and I think Delheim's got such a brilliant story to tell. It's one of romance and trials and tribulations and great courage, some failure, pioneering and layers upon layers of lessons learned with ultimate success. Your dad arrived in South Africa from Germany when he was young. I think he was 19 or 20 in 1951 and he went to stay with his uncle and aunt, his uncle being an architect. What on earth happened that turned him into one of the legends of the wine industry? Tell us the story. It's a lovely story. So I'm going to rewind you to 1930. My dad was born in 1930 in Germany. And World War II hit them in 1939. His aunt and uncle at the time of 1939 were living in South Africa. They were... Hans and Del Hoheisen, who were architect builders initially in Johannesburg, and they moved down to Cape Town with his father to help build UCT and also the harbour. Yes. So if ever you visit Delheim again, have a look at the house that was built by them uh, when they purchased the farm. A lot of the features are replicated out of the UCT buildings, even the ivy growing on the um, house has a similar flair from oh, from the beautiful UCT buildings, and you might spot a granite slab or two um, <laughs> on the steps outside the house. Mm. So, thirty nine, they bought the farm, more of an investment in land, being Germans and realizing there was a world war at hand, and not really being farmers. They had a few friends who suggest they try wine. They even built a cellar in 1944 with Mm. Italian prisoners of war. So if ever you visit Delheim, the first tanks, um, cement tanks in the cellar, you'll find in various farms in the wine industry, the same Italian prisoners of wars. Yes, uh, I know. The backs backs have some as well. Mm. And Simonsach as well. Mm. And um, so that's the foundations were laid then. Uh, it was after the war that they traveled to Europe and bumped into my grandmother, who was uh, Del Hoisin's, um cousin, and she asked them if they didn't possibly have work for my dad, who 
after World War II, had lost his father. And so he was shipped off in 51 via Southampton mm-hmm. and arrived here on the Winchester Castle with uh, prospects of starting work on a farm, which was at that stage doing a little bit of wine, but mostly fruit and vegetables. And um, with Hans not really being a farmer in need of uh, Quite a lot of attention, I should think. Yes. yes. So Del was the lady of the farm and very keen on farming and vegetables was her love. And between her and my dad, they basically just got going and started making um, what they could out of what was here. And there was still quite a lot of poverty. I mean, it was hard. It's not as if he landed with his bum bum in the butter and no. I mean, they and rocketed himself into a very comfy space, did he? He no, worked really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they even used old beer bottles to fill the wine into uh, initially because there wasn't bottle supply. They picked up secondhand bottles off um, recycling dumps to put the wine into. Mm. They, um, yeah, they made a trip to the vegetable markets on Fridays to cash flow the business that they were trying to uh, get going. So it was very much a. And were they planting vineyards all this time? Was he sort of interested in planting? Was that his goal to try and get the wine farming up and going? You know, from his memoirs that he wrote and the stories he told us, his love for trees you will always see when you drive up this Mm. valley. He was from the German farm where he grew up. Trees was his love. So you'll see pine trees on Delheim where he planted pine trees. He initially put a cow into the Feinbos that promptly died three days later because the (laughs) Feinbos wasn't wasn't uh, giving the cow enough <laughs> substance. So he realized the Feinbos was, he always said Feinbos is useless. I mean, today we, <laughs> today we try right. and, today, no, 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 we protect our Feinbos now. We've even, um, it's after pretty, all the but it's big, not particularly, yeah, you know. no, well, it's, it's, um, to me, it's uh, part of what we need to look after. But so that's where he's, his hand was here, was forestry, and then vegetables was their cash flow. And then slowly but surely they, through trial and error, planted grapes and vines. He had a very good friend, Hans Ambrosi, who with him and later on Daju Pongratz, I'm sure the name yes. will say something to you. He got involved in the wine industry through bumping into my dad down the valley here, and he was very instrumental in rootstocks and um, experimentation and so on. So through all those connections, they were very much trial and error, planting, making, seeing if it worked, didn't work. And yeah, it was, it was stop, start, stop, start all the time. It's amazing because whilst his initial and sort of foremost thrust was not wine, I think one of the things that we'll all remember your dad for is he was quite ingenious when it came to marketing his farm and himself. I can remember the very first time I came back from living overseas and I went down to the Cape and we were driving up that sort of pass there and we went into Dalheim and we went for lunch at the Green Door. It was the restaurant that was on the farm, wasn't it? Wasn't it called the Green Door? No, it was at the Garden Restaurant. The Garden Restaurant. Yes. The Garden Restaurant. Yes. And it was one of the first farms that I've been to, really, because I hadn't been to many farms in South Africa at all. And 
we had this gorgeous little cheesy board platter type thing and they it was one of the first places to really implement an enjoyable time in a restaurant with the wine and something to eat. The rest of them yeah, you could go yeah, and visit, yeah. you could look at the wineries, you could look at this, you know, but there wasn't really a huge offering when it came to food and wine. And I remember yeah, my was first, definitely, uh, yeah, yeah, first. first visit to Delheim, and that was one of the things that struck me. He also, I know he was very, very friendly with Franz Milan, who is also an icon in our industry, and I think weren't they instrumental in putting together the wine estate legislation that happened in 1973 where it had quite a big impact on growing and who could buy and who could sell and all that sort of thing? They were instrumental in a few things, but it was Sydney Beck and my dad and um, France who realised that big name, brand names, were putting estate on their labels. And yes. They realized that putting estate on a label without actually giving it a sense of origin, people were thinking that these wines had a sense mm, of origin. It was misleading advertising, really. Exactly. And, I mean, my dad was always the outsider. He was the German, the bloody dater. Um, <laughs> uh, Sydney Beck was um, Jewish, so that was also outsider. Very interesting of the combination. Industry. Exactly. <laughs> And I mean, I always giggle at what was possible down here in terms of just, it was, um, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do this today. I mean, they were really, they took on the industry head on and said, you know, this is not acceptable. And they sat down and wrote legislation that said, protect the uh, wineries, the name estate, so that Quite it gives right. people who grow and make wine on their property um, estate legislation. Mm. Well, thank goodness we could do that in those days. Thank goodness we could actually make all those kind of rules that were very beneficial to all without yeah, any think, of this, yeah. without anybody taking offense. <laughs> Carrie, if you didn't have a sense of humor back then, I think you wouldn't have made it the way they did. <laughs> and they were totally irreverent with one another and brutal. I mean, it was hilarious to spend time in yeah, the company of yeah, those yeah. old wine farmers. They really were such pillars of our industry and I hope that we've got millions of clips and caps about them because we need to put together memoirs of the winelands and your father mm. definitely um, forms part of that. So if we're talking about Spatzendrecht, which is turning 60, I have to say that I love sticky wine. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. Honestly, my death row meal, boiled egg and soldiers, and a sticky wine. It must be oh, everybody's best thing <laughs> in the whole world. And I know that, in fact, when he first made this wine, people were quite rude about it, weren't they? Well, it, so it's a, a, a long story. 1961, he, so the Delham was at that stage known for Sunday afternoon parties. It was uh, swimming pool parties, tennis matches, um, that's sort of all you could do on a Sunday in Stellenbosch. And he decided on one good Sunday to take all his friends after copious amounts of wine uh, to the cellar to show them his first tank of wine that he'd made. And his take on it was that this was a nice late harvest and uh, he was very proud of it. Unfortunately, one of his lady friends, who was a really dear friend, but she's Dutch, and you know the Dutch also no have a wonderful knack of no filtering. <laughs> yes. 
I don't know how much of the wine or the Dutch came through, but she <laughs> ended up saying to him in front of all his friends, but you know, Spatz, which was his nickname, because mm. our surname Sperling is uh, the diminutive word, Spatz is Morsi um, yes. for Sperling. She said, Spatz, but this wine really tastes like Drake, which in English <laughs> is shit. Yes. So. <laughs> That was the Sunday afternoon. <laughs> By Monday morning, uh, one of his friends said to him, you know, you can actually turn this really bad experience of Sunday <laughs> afternoon into something positive. Why don't you make this wine and call it Spatzendrek and you design a label with a sparrow sitting on it and doing its trick in the barrel. And... This is what they did. They went to Cape Town and got a label designer, the Comic Studios. They designed a label, which uh, we've got the original. You must see this. It looks like a sparrow in a snowstorm. <laughs> but it's the really the original Spatzendrick label was <clears throat> horrific. But um, <laughs> put on labeled, bottled, and late harvest Spatzendrick was the biggest joke in the industry. It was the wine that so many people until today will tell me, you know, my mom or dad or uncle or grandmother learned to drink wine through Spatz we all and Drake. Did. We all did. We all cut our teeth on Spatz and Drake. Yeah. And to this day, I still love it because I love sticky wine. It's all full of, it's orange blossoms and it's, oh, it's nectar and peach nectar. It's gorgeous. I absolutely love except, it. Except something really strange happened over the years. So late harvest was one of our biggest producing uh, wines. And at some stage, we even made Goldspatzstein. I don't know if you remember that. It yeah, was I a do really, remember it. a uh, nice little bird sitting on top of the barrel, not pooing. Not on. making a poo, yeah. And then the industry just started getting bigger and bigger and more commercialized. And so there were other people making late harvest wines in Stein, and we could no longer compete at that price point. So mm. we actually stopped producing the Goldschwarzstein many years ago. And at some point we told my dad we can't produce Spatzendrick anymore. And he was horrified that we were killing his bird and we are killing it his wine. His it was like, it was of stink. course it was. It's not like we we anti Spatzendrick. It was just like, you know, we 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 Costing need to grow up. We need to <laughs> we need to limit the amount of late harvest that we could produce because we just couldn't uh, in Stellenbosch be competitive with Spatzendrick. So we changed the style of Spatzendrick from a late harvest wine to a natural sweet in 2015. Yes. And uh, it's got a little bit of oak barrel aging in it now. It's a smaller bottle. It's a 500 ml bottle. So you can actually keep the wine longer. It is more of a sticky wine. Mm. And of course, as my dad correctly said, we killed it by not um, having it on every shelf in South Africa anymore. And people have to come to the farm, have to hear the story on the farm and reminisce about Spatzendrick here when they get to us. And Don't it's you not sell available. it commercially anymore? No, a very few little wine shops still carry it, but it's mm. not your daily drinking late harvest wine. It's a collector's mm. wine, comes in a tube with a story. Yes. And so we encourage people, buy a bottle, give it to friends as a gift. Uh, you can keep it for a couple of years. It doesn't have to be drunk immediately. So it's becoming far more of an icon, yes. historic um, story of Delham. It's, yeah. 
That's and what, in addition to it, it is actually delicious as well. Whether it's noble oh, age or whether it's natural sweet, we just love those flavors. It's yes. too gorgeous yeah. for words. What a wonderful, fun story. And that's part of what I wanted to speak to you about um, with Delheim. It's just oozing thousands of loads of fun stories that that depict Spatz's sense of humor. And it's clearly gone through to you and your brother. You're both funny and, and loads of fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I saw is that, am I correct in saying that you are having an 80th birthday this year as well from the first wine that you actually produced? Was that 80 years ago? So actually, we're already 82, but um, last year we actually had the 80-year celebration. Well, we cancelled from... last year, so we've all lost yeah, a year of our Yeah, from 1939, so it's like time's lost time. Um, mm. we, we're just basically celebrating the fact that the farm's been in the same family for more than 80 years, now already 81, well, congratulations, that's wonderful. And um, trying to keep a family business um, with lots of sense of humor going, because that's sort of all you need in this industry, especially now. Especially now. Have you and Victor got children who are going to take over the farm from you? I have two sons. The one is studying electronic engineering, and the youngest one is actually harvesting uh, and working in the cellar as we speak. Okay. His gap year came to a complete uh, sudden end with COVID, so he's working and helping out in the cellar at the moment. Fantastic. He, I think understands the complexities of a family wine business and wants to get a grip of, of working hard from bottom up. Yeah, I think uh, Victor's children are still young, younger than ours, and mm. uh, I hope they also, as cousins, would feel the need to look after and uh, protect what their grandfather started uh, with lots of gusto, lots of trials and tribulations, and we owe it to the South African people, you know. It's part of 100%. their history. It's part of their um, uh, memory lane when they come here and see the tasting room where they were it when is. they were young. And so it's a, yeah, it's a curatorship role. It's part of that fantastic fabric that makes up what is exactly. South Africa. And yeah. we do need yeah. to preserve it. It's extremely important. Mm. What can we expect quickly going forward from you? Have you got any new anything in bottle that we need to know about or is it still Grand Reserve which is absolutely brilliant Vera Cruz Grand which I think yeah, was yeah. I think was named after your my mom your mum yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> another another funny story <laughs> tell us that story quickly uh, Delam was named after and Vera Cruz after my mom mm. so um, the Cruz is the cross she carried for being married to my dad <laughs> Mm. And that's where that name came from. Is that really what it was? Mm. Only your father could have could have yeah. glorified that. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Veracruz is Pinotage. Yes. Mm. Oh, single vineyard Pinotage. Single vineyard and it's been it's been on the receiving end of five Plato star platter yeah. awards yeah. and yeah. many yeah. others. Yeah. So anybody who thinks that Pinotage is not nice, buy a bottle of Veracruz because it is absolutely delicious. And I think that the Grand Reserve remains one of South Africa's benchmark wines that everybody needs to mm. that need to try and uh, look up to and reproduce. It's fabulous wine. White wines? 
I never think of Dilham with white. Sure. I only ever really think no, about. We, we make we make some beautiful uh, Chardonnays up here on the cool slopes. Um, mm-hmm. Chardonnay Soulie, and then uh, Wild Ferment Shannon. We're actually doing um, old vine project this year, thirty-five year old vines, and then our Riesling Nevelet Harvest, which is iconic in the industry, also celebrating uh, old vine project 35 years of vines which is fabulous it's a that's your sticky that you also need to mm. uh, get back to and and enjoy have to there's and with autumn and winter coming up everybody needs to stock up their cellars with those stickies there's nothing nicer. like you never know when the next lockdown is coming. oh you never know <laughs> and there's nothing nicer than that fireplace <laughs> and that sticky wine Absolutely. Absolutely. do you know that i can even dunk rusks into my sticky wine i know it's a bit of a crude form of vinsanto and biscotti but mm. i can do rusks buttermilk rusks and sticky wine it's oh, absolutely wow, gorgeous wow. Nora, it's just such a pleasure and fun talking to you as ever. If people want to, I, I assume they can buy direct. You've got online buying on your site, have you? Yes, we do. We, I mean, in the old days, people would bring their fin to sleep wankies all the way from Joburg and stock <laughs> up. But <laughs> yes. we, we pretty much uh, distributed throughout South Africa at the moment, but with online, anytime we, uh, you can find our wines online in various platforms either buy Delheim straight from our website um, or you mix it with lots of other wines from other websites. Yes. I mean, the the ideal is just stock up a few nice wines that you can actually drink in a couple of years' time that can mature in your cellar. Mm-hmm. I think people realized um, how beautiful wines can age this past year when they had to open some older stock that they Well, we were opening were stuff to. we didn't even know we had anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Quite so, scary. Yeah. Well, we shall certainly do that, and we're all going to raise a glass to a wonderful man, a fantastic family, and the mammoth contribution that your family has made towards our Cape wine industry. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and uh, we hope to see you down in the Cape soon. I'm coming. I'm going to phone. I'm coming. We're going to drink sticky wine and roll about laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining me in the naughty corner. Thanks, Nora. Bye. Bye. 